Welcome to The Cobot Show, the podcast that breaks down the barriers of industrial automation. My name is Danielle Marlette from Universal Robots, and today we are talking about traditional versus collaborative robots. Talking with me today is Joe Campbell, industrial marketeer who has been in the industry for over 40 years. And we also have with us a guest speaker, Dave Capilani, Global Key Account Manager at Universal Robots, who has been in the industry for 35 years. So Joe, Dave, let's talk about the differences between collaborative robots and traditional robots. Well, Dave, we are glad you're here. First, let's talk a little history since you and I have a common background. We both came over from the traditional side of the industry and and if I recall right, you've actually had a couple good assignments with systems integrators and robot companies. Is that right? Yeah. Um, thanks for having me as well. Uh, I spent the first 10 years of my career uh, on the systems integration side. So to really get a good appreciation and understanding for deployments and what it really takes. So this is a, a, a great uh, talking uh category here. Good. Well, we've got a couple, uh, we'll have a couple good uh, questions here to get things started and uh, we'll see where we can, where we can take the conversation. So the, the first question is, why do we always compare traditional robots versus collaborative robots instead of industrial versus collaborative? I, I kind of see both phrases used. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing is with that, Joe, it, sometimes it depends on who you're talking to and, you know, their amount of time in, in the industry. So, you know, as you said earlier, if you, you look at when we first came to market, you and I, it, it was industrial. Everything was industrial. And um, now it's, it's a mix and match of, you know, who you're talking to, whether they even, you know, remember the initial industrial wave of robotics. Yeah. The point I like to make to people is that uh, that universal collaborative robots are industrial. Um, you know, we've got a we've got a great history. Uh, Forty-four thousand robots shipped into the market in manufacturing around the world. Uh, that is uh, that's industrial as it gets. Yeah, and I think some to that point as well, Joe, is when people look at a universal robot, a collaborative robot, um, they're so used to seeing you know, a lot of that sharp edge casts and things of that nature. And and that's why sometimes they'll look at a universal robot and say, well, is that really industrial? And they don't really understand the chemistry behind what it is we're providing. Well, let's, let's use that as a segue to talk, to talk a little bit about safety. Um, and uh, the you know the very the very description of the robot is collaborative, uh, means it can work side by side with human operators. But really, what's the underlying technology that enables that? Why why can a cobot work side by side with human operators where, you know, a traditional robot cannot? Well, you know, when you look at the the universal robot, there's a lot that goes into that um, as far as what makes up the safety of the system to work side by side. So for instance, with the universal uh, robots, you know, 
we have everything from the fact that we're monitoring current on the motors such that if it was to come into an obstruction, it shuts it down. We utilize dual encoders on the system so that if we again see an obstruction that it'll shut itself down. And then, you know, also just the algorithm. Um, when you look at a, a traditional or the industrial robot, again, mix and match, um, they're just, you know, trying to, to get from point A to point B and not worrying about the other things. Are there different levels of collaborative or are all collaborative robots created equal? No, no. Um, you know, when you, you look at some of the standards that are out there, which I know, Joe, I, I believe you've been a part of some of those committees along the years, RIA and such, um, there's very defined criteria as to what makes a robot collaborative. Um, you know, the other thing that Universal has done is in the, um, the setup of the system, you know, we've got tools embedded that truly allow you to look at how much following um, is allowed upon um, a collision, if you will. I like to say collision uh, rather than, you know, somebody running into it. Um, but again, if you were to break it down item by item and that standard is a very long standard that people can, can Google and take a look at, um, there are different levels that people like to talk about. I also understand that different plants, um, you, you know, in, have different safety requirements. I mean, you know, most factories today have some type of safety committee. Maybe it's just a, an individual, maybe it's a whole committee. Um, but I do understand that many of them actually have different different requirements that we have to meet. Yeah, uh, again, you know, when you look at the, the small to medium type end user, you know, that committee may be a group of one or two, if you will, compared to when you get to some of the larger, which, you know, they, they have a full uh, health and safety group. They have their own specification as to what they're looking for. Um, and, it, and it can get pretty complex uh, at that level. Uh, the nice part about when you're talking to either or, in the end, they're all looking for the same thing. And that is, what happens if an operator was to come into contact with the robot? And it's all about that mitigation of risk. So that's a good, that's another good segue. Can we talk just a little bit about risk assessments? I, I get the sense that that is a tool that is not well understood by, by everybody in manufacturing. No, it's really not. And, um, you know, there's plenty of third party people out there that do nothing but risk assessments. Um, and, and I can tell you from any time I go to a new customer that's new to uh, collaborative robots, it's about having somebody do a risk assessment. Um, again, that's something that Universal ourselves, we, we don't do risk assessments, but we truly stress the importance of, of having a risk assessment done. Uh, even though you may look at an application and go, oh, there, you know, there, there's nothing here. It's just picking up an object and moving it over there. 
um, you know, if you, you get uh, legal people involved in the situation, the first thing they're going to ask for is, hey, did you do a risk assessment on this? And would you see a risk assessment done like on a collaborative robot and traditional or is it one or the other? Do you see them in both cases? More so in the collaborative, because if you you look at the traditional robot um, to date, everything's usually behind barriers, uh, whether that's um, meshed metal, you know, with posts, Lexan, things of that nature. Uh, they have assessments there because they're looking for pinch points within that guarding, but nobody can just walk up, stand beside the robot, and worry about being being uh, uh, interfered with compared to a collaborative robot. So mm -hmm. th there are certain uh, risk assessments done, but it it's a completely different uh, type of risk assessment than for collaborative. I understand too that the risk assessment does not stop at the robot. It includes the end of arm tool and all the part delivery mechanisms and the whole surrounding cell. Yeah, it's a great point, Joe. Um, you know, I like to say that the robot itself is always collaborative, but what is it that um, let's call the end of arm tooling? What is it carrying? Does it have a knife? Is it a torch? Um, so that's where it's more of a application overall, because again, we can always make the robot collaborative. That's, you know, by design, Universal Robot was meant to be a collaborative robot. Good. Um, I've also uh, seen some applications where the robot speed uh, can vary and it seems to slow down when an operator's present. Uh, and then really speed up if there's no operator in the area. Uh, is is that a common a common application? Um, you see that in a, a fair number of applications that, you know, uh, again, the, the thing about manufacturing, everybody's always trying to, to gain uh, seconds or milliseconds in an application. Um, collaborative robots can move fast, um, you know, two to three meters per second if needed. But in those instances, uh, that again, this goes back to the risk assessment, is if we put an area, area scanner within the work envelope, um, and for those that are not familiar with area scanners, it's really uh, a two-dimensional uh, LIDAR that scans out that you can basically categorize different areas such that tying it back into our safety system, you can have different levels of speed as an operator comes within the, uh, the working envelope to the point of when they're really into the closest area of the robot that you want the robot to stop, not eat emergency stop, but just basically stop motion, uh, you can do that. You, you'll see that a lot. Um, more in the traditional robot installations that are looking to be safe and not utilize uh, hard barriers. They will at times um, deploy an area scanner. Understood. Yeah, I could, I, that's an easy workaround at that point. Um, how, what, how, what does payload do for, for safety? Are there payload limits that we have to live with? 
Absolutely. Um, so the, the one nice thing that if you look at uh, Universal Robots from uh, its first installation to, like you said, Joe, today, well over 44,000 deployments, um, there's things relative to uh, payload, which at some point it's just straight physics. It's the more payload, uh, you know, the, the stopping distance, stopping time is going to be affected. Um, you know, we rate our robots at maximum payload and maximum reach so that as you're doing your deployment or your risk assessment, uh, you know what the limitations are. The other thing, though, I'd like to bring up is um, many of the tools that we have built into the system um, can work very nicely within the environment, meaning I can set up barriers, imaginary barriers, such that uh, back to your earlier point, Joe, of a cobot working right beside an operator, that that imaginary plane, um, the robot could go through it, and as it does, it slows down, or it gets close to it and it has to stop. There's a lot of times when you'll go into a facility and you'll see tape on the floor, usually telling you hey, there's an imaginary barrier set. So mm -hmm. it, it's, a, it's a great thing to look for when you go into these plants is how these things are deployed. So where do, I mean, I, I know from the historical uh, perspective, right, the traditional robot companies all do, um, you know, very extensive training programs and they have, uh, you can go back to their, you know, to their headquarters or factories and, and take, um, take three or four weeks of training. Um, how do people get trained on collaborative robot operations? Well, it, it's a great question. Now, you and I go way back and we, we know what that was like or is like even today with an industrial or traditional robot. Um, you know, sometimes just to get the, the, the system out of the box and up and running, you know, it's a three or four day training class and, and then you're somewhat limited at that point. Universal has done a phenomenal job of taking a robot out of the box and get it running. So we have what we call our online academy, which um, when I started here, it was a requirement to go through and within two hours, you basically can take a robot out of the box plug it into 110 volts and start developing an application. Pretty much unheard of in the traditional robot world. I think uh, Danielle, you can vouch for that because I think you've been through that training. Yeah, I have and I recommend it to anyone that's interested in even just learning about collaborative robots or how to go and program um, because you can get it done in about 89 minutes um, just seated Right here, you can do it during your lunch break if you needed to. Like two two lunch breaks and you're done. It was quick, it was easy, and I can program a robot now. Excellent. And I've Good never never programmed a robot before, so it made it really easy, especially teaching you kind of about those area barriers, the different um, protective stops that it could set up, and, and also learning how to program sensors within it too. So... All encompassing. Very Joe, cool. I know um, we've heard this in the past, in our past lives. It, 
when you show up to a new customer that has never, you know, deployed a robot or worked with your system, they, they usually will uh, look at you and go, how do I program it? Where do I get support? Where do I get training? And we've done a phenomenal job, again, of being able to um, have somebody sit at home, take a couple hours. But then we also do complement that depending to what level people want to go with other classes. But even those are like a one to two day class max, because again, our goal is to allow people to be self-sufficient. They, you know, in the middle of the night, if something happens, uh, we've seen it all too often in our past life where, you know, there's phone calls and text messages going back and forth at 3 a.m. So. Well, that's another topic that I wanted to explore because, um, you know, give it an idea. I'm looking for some really specific uh, feedback here, but, um, you know, our robots are perceived to be easy to use. And I think that's in general for all, all collaborative robots in the industry now um, that, you know, flexibility and very simplified programming are, are kind of built in. Um, could you speak a little bit to that? Because it, it sounds to me that that's a critical benefit. Yeah, um, you know, whenever, you, you know, you get customer that's hesitant to touch it or work with with it, um, it you, you got to kind of take that, that pain away. Um, if you look over our software evolution to where we are today, um, every rev of the software, we continue to build in, uh, and I, I know, Joe, you might cringe a little bit, this ease of use, right? <laughs> you know, when you hear that ease of use, you know, the, the hair on the back of your neck stands up a little bit, but um, Universal Robots has done a phenomenal job with the ease of use because, you know, many of these, these people don't have robot experts anymore. Um, you know, they don't have a dedicated robot guy that that's all he does. Now, the larger uh, people, you know, the large account people do that still today. But those small to medium, you know, sometimes it's a guy who is nothing much more than a manufacturing engineer supporting a product. And he's now deploying cobots. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's something that shocked me when I when I joined you are and um you know, 18 months ago, that that we were happily selling cobots to companies that, uh, in my past life, I never would have made a sales call on because, you know, they didn't have the they didn't have the engineering staff, they didn't have the infrastructure, uh, and it just never would have worked out. So it is interesting to see. So you, you you'll remember this. Um, what what I saw with Universal Robots is kind of like when you know, go back to our days of the first Scara robots to hit the market back to, you know, let's talk traditional. I mean, it was the new shiny object and, you know, people couldn't get them fast enough. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yep, it's very true. So I want to go back and keep looking at differences here for a little bit. Um, I see, you know, we've talked about safety barriers and that, you know, traditional automation requires a full safety barrier with interlocks and a safety PLC and, uh, you know, frankly, a lot of expensive infrastructure. Um, but I do see some cobot installations with physical safety guarding. 
Um, what what drives that? Is there a, a specific application reason for it? But as we said earlier, sometimes um, it does depend on the application. For instance, if I was to, uh, you know, if you look in uh, the plastics industry with degating, they have those uh, pneumatic nippers. Um, you know, if somebody was to reach into there, uh, basically could take take your finger off very easily. Um, so a lot depends on your application specifics. But you're you're right, Joe. Um, you know, I have a couple of customers that when you walk in there and you look at it and you go, you don't need guarding for what you're doing. You're doing nothing but moving a camera around. Mm -hmm. um, to them, that there's this perception for the operator that they just have to see that. But then you'll ask the question, it's like, so what drove you to just keep it collaborative? And it goes back to your point, Joe, is your robot is so easy to, to deploy we just we are willing to put the barriers up to to not give up the ease of use and the self support. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That is very very interesting. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about that we see regularly with collaborative robots, but we do not with traditional. Um, I see a lot of collaborative robots mounted on carts that are you know like moved around the shop from one machine to another. What uh, what drives that? Well, you know, you say what you will, but um, the flexibility that it gives some of these uh, these people. So, for instance, in the in the old days and even current, you know, a, a traditional robot will be set up to run thousands and thousands and for years and years, if you will, just the same part over and over and over. And the key to a, a lot of what we found success is, hey, if machine A is running, let's say, half an hour to an hour or four hours in a day, they, they can basically deploy that robot on a cart, move it over to another machine, and now run a separate uh, product altogether. There might be some, some changeover, um, but talk about... Um, you know, the the quick ROI when they can look at different applications with the same robot by just moving it, uh, it's phenomenal. Well, and it's got to be a big, uh, a big driver towards uh, return on investment and payback if you can, if you can uh, take a robot and, and redeploy it that easily. Um, I've heard other people call it uh, you know, they start to think of robots, uh, particularly cobots, as tools. They're they're not hard installed, but they're just a tool yeah. that you bring out when you need it for your given production run. And, and you know, when you think about it, there's, you know, we talked about this earlier in in the the talk here is when when you look at what makes up a collaborative robot from safety and things of that nature, the fact that um, you know, you take our cobot, you plug it into a, a wall outlet, you're up and running. Um, you know, we're not talking transformers and all, all the other things that are needed. So it, it truly gives them the flexibility uh, to move this thing uh, around their shop. And, you know, Universal has done a phenomenal job with case studies when you, you know, if you go to our website, maybe Danielle will talk about that later. But 
you know, some of the case studies of showing these people doing just what you, you know, you said, Joe, take it from, you know, production line A, and then later in the afternoon, it's B, and sometimes even a third in the same day. So it's, it's, um, it's nice to see how people, you know, really utilizing the technology in that fashion. Well, it's interesting too, you mentioned the 120 volts. Um, to me, that's a real cost saver. A tip, typical project, you're, you're doing high power wiring. Uh, what are some of the other things that drive the total system cost down for collaborative robots? Because the information I see says it's, you know, a, a half to a third the cost of traditional automation. Well, um, if, if we want to look at a complete package, um, that being traditional with guarding, um, interlocks, and everything else, that alone could be a five to ten thousand dollar addition to a robot cell. Mm -hmm. Just that alone, and then when you start breaking it down um, with the power, so I don't need a transformer, I don't need all the interface. Um, I think at one point, Joe, maybe it was yourself or somebody else uh, here at Universal, looked at what is the cost per Hilti uh, bolt into the floor to, to mount something, mm -hmm. uh, I think to that degree. So um, the component in it is just so much less to deploy a collaborative robot. Good. What about UR Plus? Uh, this is another area that I think the collaborative market has really uh, has really brought something new to the industry. Yeah, you know we like to refer to that as our ecosystem and, and a quick um, it's rapid deployment. You know whether it's uh, grippers, vision, dispense, weld. Uh, it's it's about being able to utilize the robot quickly. And uh, again, I think the whole structure uh, here at Universal has been that is ease of use, flexibility, quick deployment, and a, a great uh, ROI or return on investment. So two last questions, two last questions. Um, are there some applications that are just not a good spot for cobots? Are there things, uh, applications that you find yourself walking away from because they're not a good fit? Yeah, absolutely. And um, most of those have been speed, uh, meaning um, we want to take and package, um, you know, let's, let's just say it's cookies or, you know, you're doing some form of assembly where you're looking to move, pick, move and place a part every second to two seconds. It's just not the type of thing you're gonna see with collaborative. Um, you know, I never thought in the day I'd see welding being done with collaborative, but um, you know, you go to our, uh, to our UR Plus and you can see we have partners that are actually doing welding now with universal robots. Yeah, I agree from that standpoint. It has, watching the evolution in the process has been pretty interesting, it really has. Uh, next, and I think maybe last question I have is, um, you know, I see from the traditional robot companies, um, many of them have, you know, a collaborative product line, at least that's how they're, that's how they're presenting it. How are they doing that? Are they making some significant modifications to make them behave more like uh, the universal cobot or are, are they approaching it differently? 
Yeah, um, you know, some are taking their traditional um, adding sensors to it, um, painting it a different color, what have you, to make it fit into the collaborative market. Um, again, if you go back to when Universal first came to market, there wasn't even a, a, an industry um, or market for collaborative. And um, now we're talking, you know, 44,000 installations worldwide and, and growing quickly. So I think they see the importance of, you know, getting something into that, to that market. Otherwise they're missing out. Yeah, I, I, I also think that uh, the universal approach has been interesting because, uh, you know, talking with the founders, they did not come from the industrial sector. They approached the whole architecture very differently. And I think it's, yeah, I think it shows. I yeah. do think it shows. I, I remember seeing universal at, um, I want to say 2011 at IMTS in Chicago and uh, looking at it and probably saying the same thing you did and everybody else, Joe, and that is, nah, nobody's going to ever allow a robot without a guard. <laughs> yep. Well, we've proven that quite, uh, <laughs> we've proven that wrong time and again. Hey, Dave, listen, I want to thank you so much for coming on and talking with us. It's uh, It's been a, a quick uh, a quick session, but very good. Um, Danielle, would you give us some information about where our listeners might get more information about uh, collaborative in general and our technology and products and training? Yeah, if you're interested in any of the topics we talked about today with collaborative robots, the academy where you can learn how to program a collaborative robot, um, or any of the other various topics we touched on today, visit universal-robots.com. Or if you have any specific questions, you want to uh, learn a little bit more in depth, or you have some very specific questions that we talked about that you want to learn a little bit more about, give us an email at ur.na at universal-robots.com, and we'll get someone uh, to reply and talk you through it. So, Dave, thanks again. Yeah. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And if you're listening and you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and follow us on The Cobot Show on Spotify.